Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. As far as the rest of the offense goes, um, I want to talk about a couple different facets. Um, one is the play calling. And I know we will get into this more next week, even though the game hasn't happened yet. You're like, how can you already know? Well, one of the big questions we had coming out of the game is, is Scott Turner calling a more complex, less predictable game because Taylor Heineke is the quarterback uh, or because he had extra time to prepare? Same thing he had in Jacksonville. The only other time we've seen a game plan that looks like this this season. Curtis Samuel, five carries, lots of shifts, lots of motion, uh, some creativity in terms of formations and personnel. After watching the tape, is there any hint as to the reason of that? Or are we just going to have to wait the week and see what he does against Indy? You know, I actually felt like this, like you said, I think you made a really nice comparison there, like with the Jacksonville game earlier when we were talking. And this game felt a lot like that. And I think, again, the the thing that really stuck out to me is just how they were able to stay on the field on third down. I know they weren't exceptional, but I think total they were like seven or eight of 16, you know, yeah. something in that area, almost 50%. I think it's so, seven of 16. Yeah, so that is, I think that's a huge deal here, right? Because you get to see more of Scott's stuff. You know, you see that play with Armani Rogers as the quarterback running like a quarterback power off a jet sweep, sweep action to Curtis Samuel. Like, you get to see some of that stuff. You get to see the reverse to Curtis after you run the open side run to Gibson that runs for the 25 yard gain or whatever it is. Like you get to see that stuff kind of stack on itself. And I think that's really important that, that fans and and for us to keep in mind, analyzing this team is when you only get a a handful of play calls and very specific, because I think that's another thing that we've, we've talked about this before, but just a good reminder Mm -hmm. when you're in second and 10, third and 10 situations, you're not in the meat of your playbook. You're in kind of your periphery. You have like little grids on your playbook and one says third and 10, one says second and 10. And that's not 
a huge percentage of your playbook. And we've talked about how you can get, if you can get in those third manageables, second and manageable situations, you get bigger swaths of your playbook open to you. And so I think also like just kind of managing first down better in this game was a big deal. We, we haven't really talked about Brian Robinson, but I think he deserves a lot of credit. Gibson deserves a lot of credit for helping keep this offense on schedule. Like he never, like Robinson had one big run, like the one where he kind of fumbled the ball there, but hmm. um, you know, that they reversed or whatever happened, but he does a really good job of not taking any negative runs. I think he had one bad run in the red zone where he tries to bounce it outside on like a yeah. duo play. Um, right. But other than that, I think he's pretty good about saying it's, it's muddy. Let me get three here. Let me get two. Let me get four. And, Second and eight, second, uh, second and seven, second and six is a very manageable down and distance. So I think that it obviously it's multifactorial. We've kind of talked through a couple of things here. It's execution on first down. It's execution on third down. But they all kind of support each other. And that, again, supports Scott's ability to get to more and more of his playbook. And so that offensive efficiency is huge. Because I think if you look at the first half when Taylor was struggling, they weren't like this crazy diverse offense, right? It was kind of like, oh my gosh, like they look like they've looked the past couple of weeks, you know, maybe this is Scott's thing. And then when Taylor finds his rhythm, starts completing passes, starts sustaining drives, a little bit of that's the running running game also. Um, the offense comes alive, right? You see some of that other stuff, which I think is is super significant um, and, and, and really critical to how effective this group can be. So running game then is a huge part of this. What worked for them and, and how much of it was a carryover too from the second half against Chicago? Because they, they were a lot better in that second half in part because they got Gibson more involved. And I think people come, one of the, you know, you talk about narratives. I think one of the narratives that comes out of this game is like, oh yeah, Antonio Gibson's a really freaking good football player. <laughs> and it's like, why did we forget about this? Because he fumbled yeah. the ball, you know, in the preseason. And uh, obviously it was a huge issue, but um, considering his fumble problems last year, right? Like that wasn't that wasn't a made up story, and clearly they thought it was pretty important because they forgot about him, uh, or or kind of put him in the doghouse or whatever whatever iteration of that you want to go with. But sure, uh, they they're not as good if he doesn't get the ball with uh, a high level of frequency. And to watch him get back in the mix, I don't think uh, is coincidence that they've now won two games in a row with him playing a critical part on some key scoring drives. Well, I also think it's important to note that he still has ball security issues, Gibson. And I'm not trying to put anything bad on the guy, but when you watch him run, the ball is loose at his side. And and I get that's, you know, you see what makes him so special. Like it was so fun for me to watch him. You know, obviously there was the big play, but I think it was like the next series. He runs an outside zone to the right and he's kind of, he's tempoing it. And then you see his burst. And you mm. see him outrun the angle to the sideline, which, again, is one of those things you don't normally see from NFL running backs. I don't care how fast or how good you are. You don't normally see that. So to be reminded of that explosive big playability is, is, is pretty incredible, you know. But, again, ball security, I think, is still an issue for him. And also I think it's important to understand that he can have that burst late in the game because Brian Robinson's taking 20 carries. Right. So it's right. it's they support each other. So it's not like you should give Gibson more carries – it's like right. this is kind of his utilization freak pack package, I guess, at this point, right? If that if that makes sense. 100%. And that, that's, I, I don't think I did a good job of explaining that on the front end. It's like the reminder is Antonio Gibson is awesome. And so how do you maximize him? And the answer is you give Brian Robinson more carries. Yeah. You know, the, the balance, and that's kind of what I was asking is like, how much of this you think is a continuation from something they figured sure. out in Chicago? How much of this is whatever the reason? And like, also, what effect did the five can, uh, carries for Samuel have in terms of yeah. what the defense's response was and why Gibson's able to get some of the big ones, Robinson's able to stay effective, 
Curtis get some key uh, yards at key times. How did those all interplay? And, and you know, how was Scott's kind of, hey, you're a run game coordinator uh, for, for old Independence High yeah, School. Yeah, for old Independence uh, High School. Yeah, so how, how, did, how do you look at the way the run was called throughout the game, building on itself? Because it felt like, to me, watching it live, that they always were having the right run at the right time. And that's that hasn't happened in a while. It did feel like that. And I think a little bit of that is also kind of a good game plan, good in-the-week game plan. You know, like I look at – I did a breakdown of this, which is going to come up on Wednesday's show of uh, the command center. And I was looking at Gibson's long run and just the the kind of the stuff that goes into that, right? And, and what I mean by that is there's a, there's a motion to start. And what that gets is the linebackers – bounce with the motion so Devondre Campbell who's probably your maybe one of your best players on defense is now out of the box moving with the motion guy then they bring kind of a flash block by Armani Rogers to the backside end and then that takes the strong safety out of the box because he thinks he's running to the flat so you are now left with a nickel player who has no in godly intention of wanting to tackle a soul in the box by himself and so again that just means he's a little bit slower to fit Great job by Lucas on the edge there with uh, Rashad Gary. But that's great game planning, right? That's understanding how Green Bay is going to respond to those motions, right? And and it's a great job by the back because earlier in the game, Gibson's running a run from offset gun to the left and it's running to the right and he cuts the ball up way too quick and he makes the O-line look bad because he does, he's not stretching it enough to the front side. So I think it's also Gibson's getting more experience. He's learning and he can say, oh man, I really screwed that first one up. Let me on the second one kind of press it a little bit more front side and see what happens. And it puts the O-line in better spots. It lets Larson get the get to that nickel player. And it puts you in a really good position to like make a nice run. And I think that's something that Brian Robinson does more consistently consistently than um than Gibson. But also mm-hmm. I think to to the credit of the scheme is the backs did a really good job. This is something I don't love about this scheme, but they did a really good job of being patient to the edge. And oftentimes the edge players would kind of peek their heads inside, like go from a D gap player to a C gap player. And every time that happened, Robinson, Gibson, Curtis were able to maximize that touch by getting to the edge and making it a big play. So I think that that kind of stuff is, again, that's a little schematic to Green Bay. But that's also just guys getting more comfortable with the run game and understanding the timing and rhythms of it. And you mentioned, because you started to see a little bit of that come alive for them in, um, in Green Bay. They had a buy kind of a pseudo bye week where they're doing some self scouts. So maybe they say we can coach the backs up a little bit harder on this. And this is the result, right? Is you get a little bit more efficient stuff. Now they have to keep growing and keep maturing with this, but I think that's a big factor for sure. All right. Last thing for the offense. Uh, Ter- Terry got the ball. Hallelujah. Terry McLaurin, everybody. He got, he got eight targets. He's, he's eight the targets? best player on the team. Wow. And that's, that's great. It hadn't happened a lot this year. Um, second half against Detroit, they, they got that tally up there, but that's in a non-competitive situation, really. Um, you know, a couple other times where they're out of it late, he gets up close to that total, but like this started early was consistent and he made monster play after monster play. And to, to circle things back around to Taylor too, this, this is the other area where I feel like Taylor's understanding of the offense really shines through. Right. I think Carson reads out a, or he gets a call and he's like, this is the play. This is the coverage. This is what's supposed to happen. And it's very just like X's and O's as it's drawn up on paper. Taylor gets a call, realizes Scott is trying to get the ball to someone. And is like, I got you. I'm going to throw it to this guy. 
and there's just a deeper understanding of what they're trying to do in given situations. And I also love Taylor's uh, comment after the game. I do believe he said, basically, that's why we paid that man that money. Uh, so he understands <laughs> where his bread is buttered uh, in terms of, of 17 getting the ball. And I, you know, some of that also might have been favorable matchups where Green Bay trusts uh, Jair Alexander to cover Terry more one-on-one and he sees more on one-on-one coverage than he has in other games. So I don't want to rule that out as a possibility. But as you watch the tape, how were they able to get Terry the ball more and how can they repeat that going forward? You know, I don't think they, it doesn't feel like when you watch it that they made a concerted effort to get Terry the ball. It felt like Taylor was just kind of taking opportunities that were there. Like kind of to your point, like this is a play that, you know, they run and mesh, right? And it's like the first third down conversion, third and two. Um, and they're running mesh with Terry and uh, Heineke kind of loses a little bit of ground moves to his right and uh, hits Terry for the first down. It ends up being like a 15-yard gain because Terry's great after the catch, right? But that's, Mm -hmm. again, that's uh, Taylor's understanding of the concept. And even on the big play, right, To uh, for the touchdown, like you look Mm -hmm. at it and you say, the ball probably isn't designed to go to Terry, but he looks over there. He's got Jair Alexander in press coverage. And quite frankly, anytime a receiver's got press man-to-man or what looks to be press man-to-man, you want to take a shot to that guy. And so Heineke does a great job. He like checks the left. He holds the safety on the middle of the field and takes his shot. Right. And I think one thing about Carson over the course of these last couple of weeks is that he's not done a great job of identifying those opportunities and and maximizing those opportunities. And Taylor in this game did that. And then you get to the play at the end of the game, or then there's the return route, which he catches for a first down kind of in the last little bit there. And that's just, that's a, that's a, that's a touch for Terry. He's going to win that. You feel good about it. Get him the football. And then the play at the end of the game on that third and nine, like that is literally just a dude understanding, Taylor understanding the concept, understanding what's going to happen to the defense, and then just trusting your guy. Like that is the most number one receiver catch I've seen Terry make since I've been here. And everyone's like, oh, he scored these touchdowns. Like for him to win in that situation, the way he did, coming back to the football, quarterbacks getting hit, and make that play for your guy, like that, again, that's – you can scheme all you want, but sometimes like the Jimmy's and Joe's got to make the plays. Right. And that's an example of like, you just got a dog out there. He's going to make that play for you. And so that to me is, is kind of him in a nutshell. It's, there were some, you know, opportunities that Taylor maximized, like the touchdown being one, the mesh and the the return route, probably just call it, you know, kind of execute the offense as you see fit. And then that last play is get your guy the ball and he's going to make a play for you. And I think that's exactly, exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's great for Carson to see if Carson ultimately comes back. Uh, if like, just trust Terry, like get, throw him the ball. Unlike anyone you've had since you, he was, I mean, he had some dudes in Philadelphia. Like Alshon um, Jeffrey. Yeah. Like you can trust Terry, even though he's not as big, like you can trust Terry. Like you trusted Al- Alshon Jeffrey or Michael Pittman, right? Like those are the yeah. types of guys that he's used to doing that with. And you know, quite frankly, Terry's not, built that same way and that's not an indictment of terry that's more just like but he'll compete to that level it's like right it's like you know terry reminds me a lot of steve smith uh carolina steve smith where it's like traditionally speaking not big play vertical go get it you know not vertical as in vertical speed vertical as in like i will jump and i'll compete you for routes i grew up watching steve smith uh and that dude might as well have been six foot ten like yeah he he (laughs) never lost balls in the air. Um, he m- might not always won them, but like you weren't getting picked if you threw the ball towards Steve Smith. Um, he was The worst thing that was going to happen is it was going to be incomplete. And often he was going to catch it or draw a PI because he was a 
bad man with bad intentions. And, you know, Terry is that on the football field, that exact same like hyper competitive way and, and physically gifted uh, with the four, three speed and a good vertical and, and all those things too. But there's just a toughness to the way that he plays that if you give him chances, he will reward you. And that is, I think the frustrating thing early on the year is him not getting the touches is when he gets them, he shows you what he can do. So why not give him more? And I'm, I'm excited to see if that can continue against other teams. Um, because I do think probably some of that is dictated by green Bay's coverages and their choices with Jair to not necessarily double. And so things may look a little bit more open or, or you don't, you don't necessarily want to give a guy a bunch of chances in triple coverage. Um, right. So the fact that green Bay was not doing that, I think probably opens it up just a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, but you're, you're going against one of the best, you know, probably top five, seven sure. corners in the NFL. Like, and a lot of times teams feel like that's a matchup that they favor, you know, that the favors <clears throat> green Bay, excuse me. But I mean, it was impressive, man. It was impressive to see Terry do that. And I can't think of a game in recent history where he's been that kind of impactful against an elite cover guy that way. So that was really cool to see. It was cool that Taylor gave him the opportunity. And, you know, like you said, hopefully that continues, you know, while Taylor's playing. And then when Carson gets back, uh, you know, if Taylor can kind of provide the roadmap for some of that stuff. Yeah, he's definitely had some big ones. I know he had a couple his rookie year when people were still not kind of not taking him quite as seriously. Um, right. It does feel like there's been a bit of a lull in some of those games. And and also he hasn't had the help. So everyone was like, and the yeah, we're just going to play the offense, yeah. the offensive line. Like it's, it's not, it's not entirely on him, but it's, yeah, it's nice. But to this, kinda, was, this was special. Yeah. You know, since getting the contract to me, this has been his for sure. best game. So for sure. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 